everyone. We're back with another episode of Art Moves, the podcast. I'm Dr. Regina Newhan, and with me, as always, is art crusader, Major Dwight Smith. Hey, Dwight. Hey, what's happening, Regina? In the house, Art Moves. What's happening? And today we are welcoming Glenn North, who is multi-talented. He is an award-winning poet, visual artist, activist, educator, you name it, he does it. Uh, Glenn, thank you for being here. And could you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, where you're from, and how you got started in the arts? Of course, of course. Thank you both for having me. Um, I would say I got started in the arts when I was eight years old. I uh, spent a lot of time with my grandmother growing up, and she loved spoiling me. Whatever the hot toy was, you know, at Christmas, if it was Hot Wheels or Rock'em Sock'em Robots or whatever, you know, she always made sure, you know, that I had really cool toys and, and really nice clothes. And birthdays and Christmas were really special. So on my eighth birthday, I had been telling her I wanted a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. And uh, I just knew I was going to get the G.I. Joe, right? But on my eighth birthday, she just hands me this piece of paper. And it's a copy of the poem If by, by Rudyard Kipling. And I was really salty about that. But my grandmother said, <laughs> you should memorize this poem. And if you do, uh, the philosophy that's communicated in that poem will help you be a better man. And, uh, you know, I won't do the whole poem, but, but it opens with the stanza, uh, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too and it goes on and on with all these really you know kind of proverbial wisdom and and how to stick it out and at the end it says uh if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run then yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son so Beautiful. Uh, I love my grandmother very much. I wasn't thrilled about not getting the G.I. Joe, but I memorized the poem and shared it with her. And I just saw just how much joy it brought her that I'd been able to memorize it so quickly. And shortly thereafter, I began writing my own poems and I've been writing poetry ever since. So fast forward to 19... 19- Grandma planting seeds. <laughs> Grandma planting yeah, seeds. Yes, she did. She For did. real. What? She did. She Absolutely. was a wise woman. She was an educator. She saw the talent was going to be there, yeah. And so uh, moved to D.C. in 93, and that's where I got introduced to spoken word, um, hanging out around U Street there. And there are all these different venues where you could go and perform poetry. Fell in love with the scene. 97, I had to move back home for various reasons. I was really... uh, depressed and and missing DC and I was complaining to my friends about how much I missed the poetry scene and one of my buddies said well why don't you start a poetry reading here and it's like this light bulb came on right and I said sure Uh, at the time there was a lot of excitement around the uh, revitalization efforts uh, of the 18th and Vine Historic Jazz District I knew the Jazz Museum and the Negro League Baseball Museum were about to open so I figured that would be a great location so I found a little dive bar called the Mardi Gras 19th and Vine and we started hosting poetry readings there and the uh, poetry reading was called Verbal Attack and it became a great place for artists and poets and, and, and musicians to all kind of collaborate and hang out and when the 
American Jazz Museum opened, that was the first time I ever got paid to do a poem. They paid me 50 bucks hey, hey. to do a poem at their opening $50. celebration. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I was like, hey, I, I'm a professional now. Uh, so they hired Headlining. me to do... Headlining. Yeah. <laughs> they would hire me to do <laughs> workshops and things like that. They eventually hired me permanently in their education department. I became the education manager slash poet in residence of the American Jazz Museum. And that really just gave me a great platform and, and, and elevated me as as a poet uh so i was there for 10 years then uh went on to the black archives of mid-america i was director of education and public programs there for four years then went to bruce r Watkins, started off doing education and public programs there eventually became the ed uh the executive director i was there for three years and this is bruce r Watkins uh, cultural heritage center yeah bruce r Watkins cultural heritage center Bruce R. Watkins, just to, to provide some context, is a state-owned building that sits on city property that is managed by the Parks Department. So you've got these three bureaucratic behemoths that you have to navigate to try to get things done. But even with that being the case, there weren't a whole lot of resources there. Didn't have a huge budget for programming or anything like that. Um, but being one of the founding members of the African-American Artist Collective and Bruce R. Watkins being such a great venue to showcase art, um, I just figured while I was there, I would just make that basically the home <laughs> of the African-American Artist Collective. And we had so many artists oh, that we were able uh, to exhibit and, and a lot of opportunities um, extended from that, that exposure. So I was really great to be in a place where I could afford them that opportunity. That was the precursor to the testimony show, no doubt. You know, your, your exhibits were totally the warm up for testimony. Yes. And, and you know what, I, what I'm liking is, I see what the Nelson's the doing. Nelson, Nelson got a little program now so that they look at the cultural centers and then they develop, you know, because they did there. I, I believe that they are doing the same thing with the um, with the Maya exhibit. If you look at the Maya exhibit with Chico Sierra, you know, Station, previous yeah. podcast episode guest himself, so that he put together a nice show. And I'm pretty sure we'll see something like that. And I and I, I one, I'm happy to see that kind of engagement between organizations, especially organizations dedicated to culture. And that again, just goes to show how important a role that you were holding at Bruce R. Watkins that, you know, one of our major cultural centers was looking at what you were modeling and doing in the community and said, we need to do a show on, on you know, we're we gonna upscale this show. You know, that's boom, brother. I see you out there getting right. down. I see you out in the trenches doing that cultural thing and then your poetry what stop playing that that's that's <laughs> juggling at the highest of orders you know i mean and that's why you know i, I gotta give you your flowers wow. and your propers wow. and then what i also love is you are so clutch brother you know whenever i need somebody i'm like hey i saw somebody say hey, we need some we need some boom 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 and then we need some culture we need a poet i'm like i hit glenn it's it's like i i'm in dwight when do you need me there Bam, and you come in, and then not only is it clutch, it's like clutch, mic drop clutch. It's like, because <laughs> you know, I'm getting kudos afterwards. Dwight, this guy you brought to me was yeah. fantastic. I was like, hey, I only, you know, I'm, I'm out here getting the clout from your beauty, brother. I'm just, the wow. residuals are lovely. So thank you again for always being there with your talent at such a high level. You know, sometimes people need a break. You know, I'm like, oh, I can't do it today, Dwight, or no, nah, I'm on, you know, you are, yes, sir. 
bam, where you need me. And I'm like, whoa. So much appreciated, much love to you, brother, for that, just being a source for, and you know, because I only come to you with cultural stuff. I'm like, hey, I need you to bang, bang, here's the audience. And you're like, damn, do I, could it? Because <laughs> I, try I, try I, try, I try to surprise folks. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the thing that I really admire about you, Dwight, is, is your fearlessness, um, the, the way that you uh, point out all the discrepancies that exist in, in this art space and, and how you put your money where your mouth is in terms of supporting artists, uh, African-American artists and artists of color. And that term, the, the cutthroat world of arts and culture, I mean, the water gets real dicey. You know yeah, what I mean? Does, and and prior to coming into this field, I really kind of romanticized and thought, you know, surely in the world of art and culture, people are more understanding and more generous. And, you would think. And, yeah, it, it is it is not the case. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of competition. There's obviously a lot of racism. Just a lot that you have to contend with to try to present beauty to the world. But Striking paradox. I have now been at the Kansas City Museum for a year and a half, and I am the director of Inclusive Learning and Creative Impact. Tell us about what kinds of programming you're doing there, because you know how you uplifted and brought everybody and showed them game at Bruce R. Watkins. Mm -hmm. I know you're about to do it over at Kansas City Museum. Yeah, so so I'm the director of Inclusive Learning and Creative Impact at the Kansas City Museum. Um, the inclusive learning part is really rooted in restorative practices. You know, restorative practices is uh, the the science of building relationships. Uh, we want to do museums a different way. We don't want it to be kind of the hush-hush, be quiet kind of uh, space where uh, you walk by the building and you, you don't feel welcome, right? Like architecture can be intimidating. Uh, so we're, we're in this huge mansion in, in northeast Kansas City, but on the inside, we're doing everything that we can to, to make sure that, that people feel included, that historically underrepresented voices are being amplified, um, and we're attempting to tell the story of the history of Kansas City from the time that it was a territory through uh, the colonization and, and forced removal of American Indians and slavery and redlining, you know, all the way up to, to what's happening um, in the present. So inclusive learning uh, encompasses all of that. Uh, creative impact, uh, we really believe that art is vitally important in terms of telling the story. So we have over 20 artists that did site-specific, site-responsive work that's exhibited, you know, at the museum, and it adds another layer to the story. And I'll be working uh, with those artists and other artists um, as we continue uh, to tell the story of Kansas City's history as it's unfolding. Uh, so, you know, we are currently working on so many things. Uh, we're developing some... Uh, interactive components to the exhibit That's cool. uh, so we're developing all the content for that uh, we're going to have an ongoing oral history project uh, so we're getting uh, geared up for the, for those interviews we um, are going to launch uh, in the spring the whole story lecture mm -hmm. series so we've got um, a cadre of historians and educators who help develop the content that is currently in the museum and we're going to have them continue the process um, there's only so much real estate to tell the story right so mm -hmm. we have to mm -hmm. approach the rest of it programmatically so the whole story lecture series just like it's 
it sounds, we'll be telling the, the whole story of the history of Kansas City. Uh, we talked about poetry a lot. Uh, the first African-American to graduate uh, from UMKC's creative writing program with the masters was a man named Mbembe Milton Smith, great Kansas City poet, died too soon, uh, and I don't think he gets the recognition that he deserves. So our poetry programming will all be under the umbrella of the Mbembe Milton Smith Poetry Series, and we will be bringing in poets who are using history as kind of the, I don't know, the inspiration Mm -hmm. for their writing. There's a whole subgenre of poetry that has emerged where people are using poetry as a way to tell some of the untold stories um, of our of our shared history uh, and so we'll be focusing on poets who, who are doing that work um, we are developing a teen advisory board That's a great idea. We definitely want to appeal to the young people in the community and we feel it's important for them to have a place at mm-hmm. the table I can sit in my office all day and think of programs that I think teenagers would enjoy and as soon as you do it, they'll let you know <laughs> that you are not as hip as you think you not are. <laughs> Say, hey, uh, slow down, Playboy. This is not right, hot. right, right. <laughs> so yeah, so so we definitely want young people to have an active voice. We're in fact working right now with a group of students at East High School who are developing a marketing campaign for us. There are actually three groups of students, uh, and they're going to pitch us ideas at the end of the semester. So we've been working actively with them uh, to see what they come up with um we're working with uh james terrell he's going to install a sky space um on the grounds james terrell for those of you who might not know is an incredibly sought after artist um the sky space is a huge coup for kansas city you know he's developed such a huge reputation he's very selective uh in terms of who he works with and Mm -hmm. and so the Mm -hmm. fact that we were able to get him to agree to do this installation is is really i don't think people really understand folks don't know and let me hype this up real quick because we were in st louis eh, about a year and a half ago and I went to a James Terrell. It was Orca. It was the blue and white exhibit. It was with uh, mm-hmm. Susan Barrett uh, mm-hmm. out there with her production going on in uh, St. Louis. So Missouri holding it down with James Terrell. Yeah. Yeah. Over this. <laughs> Absolutely. It was interactive. You go in there, you have fun with it. Yeah, he does some really, I mean, that's big time art moves right there, yeah, man. That's, that's a that's major score. Big time. That's major score. So congratulations on that brother this to to that coming to the um kansas city museum is huge you know for those who might not know like these sky spaces james sorrell has figured out scientifically Mm -hmm. how to sculpt light how to play with light Mm -hmm. and so it's Mm -hmm. a different experience you know depending on what time of day you go into that space um we're really excited about that and we'll be doing programming there uh, the Jewel House is another mm-hmm. uh, huge installation that we're working on. There's an artist named Summer Wheat uh, mm-hmm. that is helping us with that. And so Summer Wheat has worked very closely with the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art. And uh, right. Mary Kemper Wolf is kind of helping mm-hmm. with that effort. Not kind of. She is very much helping with that effort. Yeah. Uh, and so that will be another space that really is dedicated to women uh, and so we've had a group of, of young girls over the summer that uh, did a summer camp with us uh, from the Kansas City Girls Charter School. 
and so they were able to interact with Summer Wheat and, and the architects that will be uh, helping us with the installation to uh, contribute some, some design ideas, right? So yeah. part of our approach to education is real world learning and workforce development. Uh, we want to give students opportunities to do work that will actually be implemented and used. You know, it isn't... Uh, we're not creating hypothetical situations. We're creating real opportunities for students mm -hmm. to contribute to the development of the museum and possibly uh, for, for some of them to uh, think about museums as a, as a career option. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. what's amazing is, you know, I got to hype up the names again because, you know, when you drop names like Summer Wheat, you know, and then the, it, the fact that the, you're working with them and you're introducing them, you're a frontline guy introducing blue chip mega i mean these are mega artists folks you know these these names that glenn is dropping this isn't like oh so-and-so that's in the bazaar <laughs> you know right. he's bringing in folks yeah, so so yeah, shout yeah. out to the folks providing those resources it is seen but um to be able to work with them and then for you sir again to use your jedi skills and then flip that into some judo and then get that into people's hands yeah. that's the magic right there is you the know practical getting effect, summer yeah. wheat the practical effect of getting summer wheat into the streets ma'am I, yeah. I see you i see you making that work brother i see you out there making your magic work well you know that has a lot to do i do want to shout out the staff at the kansas city museum mm -hmm. you know when i was at bruce r watkins we were under the parks department as was the kansas city museum at the time so it was during the time that i, I was at bruce r watkins that i saw the work that they were doing at the mm -hmm. kansas city museum and my conversations with anna marie tutera who is our executive director anna marie. Masanda, She's great. yeah mm -hmm. yeah who's the deputy director and, and paul gutierrez who oh, does yes. our, our public programming uh, denise morrison uh, who's our our head curator i i just really saw a lot of kinship there and mm -hmm. and i'll be honest you know it was uh becoming increasingly difficult uh to get things done at bruce r watkins for various reasons mm -hmm. and uh i had some concerns I'd built a reputation, you know, I started off at the American Jazz Museum. I was director of education, poet in residence there for 10 years, moved over to do uh, education and public programming at the Black Archives for four years, loved that institution, great institution. Then on to Bruce R. Watkins, and, and as the executive director, I thought, you know, finally, you know, I'll mm -hmm. be able to really kind of shape how things work, and I'll be able to make decisions, and that is not <laughs> exactly how things worked out, I think that was frankly. not the case. Hey, but like, like, like I mentioned, your, your level of patience is, is I, I, I admire it, I salute it, you know, because I'm a disruptor, I'm trying to push, but, you know, I, I saw... The, you know, your ability to to see the entire moment, you know, to see the importance and learn at all of those spaces. Because you were, I mean, for a lot of people, each one of those titles you just mentioned would have been, you know, this is my life job. And you mm -hmm. were jumping from life job to life job to life job <laughs> and absorbing that responsibility. You know, it's so like when I think I'm doing something and I say, oh, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time or somebody's giving me static. I'm like, well, look at what this guy had to deal with. And I said, <laughs> and he's still rolling. And then I you had the wherewithal and, and the foresight. Like you were looking at Kansas City Museum while you were at Bruce and said, okay, it didn't work out here. And, hey, I, I've, I've learned a lot from watching you, brother. So thanks 
for um, teaching me, you know, how to apply. You know, I'm still hit him with the Darth Vader, but I, I do it with <laughs> grace now. That's know? right. I, 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 I lift people up with the force. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's right. But yeah, but it opened up a new uh, audience for me, right? You know, there, mm -hmm. there are people that I'm coming into contact with now and reaching that I don't know would have happened had I stayed at Bruce R. Watkins or if it had, yeah. it would have been way down the road as opposed to uh, the the place where I'm sitting now. So I, I'm really glad I made that decision. I feel like, uh, you know, we, we, we're not perfect, but we are certainly attempting to do the work that is going to make a difference in, in our community. And so, um, yeah, I'm really happy to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about um, your your qualities of patience and perseverance. And I did want to mention the TED Talk that you gave in Overland Park. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I was not in attendance, but I saw it on video. And it was such a, a powerful uh, experience to observe you mm -hmm. explaining to people uh, essentially parts of the black experience and doing it with grace and patience and telling stories and anecdotes that that illustrated that and you just did it so well and so skillfully uh, and I just marveled at that so congratulations on mm -hmm. having those traits that really make you a fantastic communicator uh, teacher educator and you know that's the way we can sometimes change the world so kudos to you thank you so much you know I uh, have also been doing some adjunct teaching at Rockhurst oh. Uh, and so last year, uh, I taught an African-American literature class, and I was just so excited, and I put together, I started with David Walker's Appeal to the Colored Citizens of America, mm -hmm. which was uh, just highly controversial at the time. I mean, he wrote this during the time that slavery existed, and he was just lambasting the slave trade and white people who supported it, and really also doing it from a, a Christian framework. So uh, I call it the, the black version of common sense. I mean, it, it many would argue that it is the piece that inspired Nat Turner's revolt. There's a direct connection there, um, and, and took him through uh, all the way to uh, the spook who sat by the door. Uh, is what, what we culminated with, which was uh, kind of a satirical but very serious revolutionary kind of meditation on the possibility of, of violent uh, uprising. And so uh, the name of the class was Rhetoric, Rage, and Resistance, a survey of uh, protest in African-American literature. And I just, although realizing that Rockhurst University is predominantly white, figured that this was going to be a space where, you know, black students would kind of have an opportunity to find some community and, and to, to feel represented in the space. And so I'm sitting there the first day of class and here comes a young white woman, comes another young white woman, third young white woman. By the time the first 15 students showed up, it was all young <laughs> uh, white women in the class. With a class of 25, I think I had yeah, I had two African-American students and one who identified as biracial. All the rest were young white women. And so I came up with the phrase uh, improvisational pedagogy, right? So uh, I had to reshape in real time, not the information right. that I was presenting, but how I would present yes. it. Um, and so by the end of the semester, that was such a dynamic experience. And uh, it was such a great dialogue that happened centering around these great pieces of, of literature 
literature. Brother, you get your master teacher card just for doing that, brother. <laughs> That's amazing. That is a that is such an educational flex that yeah, you just got people right there. He said, wow. I changed I changed my whole steez to yeah. make sure this message was received. Brother, yeah. that is yeah. that is of the highest order. There was a time when I was at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. That's where I started. I, I ended up finishing at Rockhurst. But uh, Lincoln University is a historically black institution, Jefferson City, Missouri. I was there in the 80s. And at that time, there was kind of this effort that was taking place. Not a lot of people were aware of it, but historically black institutions were under attack. And there was a lot of conversation around changing the land grant status of Lincoln University, making it an agricultural school so it would appeal to rural students and it was eventually going to wipe out the black student population. And I wasn't for that. Mm -hmm. So it, it, and when I started to kind of see some of the machinations that were going on behind the scenes, I, I started protesting, uh, organized several uh, protests at, at homecoming games wow. and started to get a lot of attention in the news. And uh, I eventually, just to cut to the chase, got kicked out of school. Oh. But as... I really learned how to channel that anger better. I found out that in poetry, I could communicate the very same messages that I was delivering in those speeches that got me kicked out of school, but in a way that was palatable. And I also understood, and I don't know that, you know, a lot of my contemporaries agree with me, but we black people can't be left alone to fix racism. It's not our problem in the first place. It's a white person's problem, right? Mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and, and until mm -hmm. white people collectively understand, uh, I don't think things are going to change. So I think it's very important in our efforts to communicate to white people the damage that racism does to all of us, right? Um, uh, James uh, Baldwin talks about, you know, the, the damage that is done to the humanity of a person who's the oppressor, right? You, you can't dehumanize someone and not lose part of your humanity, right? And so uh, with that mind frame, uh, I began to kind of shift the way I communicated things. And while I'm still very angry at times, uh, I find out that people can hear you better when you use different tools, such as art and, you know, extending grace. You know, a lot of white people say, well, I'm just scared I'm going to say the wrong thing. Well, you probably will. <laughs> but you have to be willing to get into this conversation. Uh, and, and that's the only way things are going to get better. That's a true elevation yeah. of thought, brother. You know, like I said, uh, like a, spoken like a true Jedi master, you know. Um, yeah. Very insightful. Very insightful. Tell us about, you know, let's get into the artist, Glenn. Jump back to the artist, guys. So we got your professional, you know, we, we see what you're doing out there in the professional streets. And to artists, you know, like Glenn that are doing, wearing both hats. You know, it's hard, mm -hmm. like, you know, trying to maintain, you know, you got to eat. But at the same time, it's not even eating. You're like setting up the the structure and architecture for other artists to excel and proceed i see that we all see that what you're doing but at the same time you know maintaining your craft and it's almost like you you're weaving poetry like you are you're weaving poetry into your actions but what is it to um to create I, speak to me on 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 how you just maintain such a high level of of, of translation of your vibe into poetry how wow. do you do that how do you how do you maintain that status brother because some of the stuff you've like you say when you speak i'm like oh 
I got it. I got it on the inside, you know, and, and, I, yeah. and, and I feel that, you know, so I feel the rage or I feel the sadness. How do you do that? That is a that is a great question. And I just have to say, God, first of all, mm-hmm. you know, I really believe that that it's a God given talent. I believe that for me, it is about that connection. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, it's about the conversation. Uh, it's it's about engaging people in a way that goes above and beyond just the art form itself. So there are so many different styles and, and, and genres of, of, of poetry. Uh, and, and many uh, are, I think, beautiful. And, you know, it explores the beauty of language, but it's there primarily for its aesthetic value. Nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. I appreciate that kind of poetry. But I've always been more drawn to poetry and art um, that is aiming at something, that is pushing mm-hmm. for social justice, or that is, you know, talking about the things that, that we all as human beings struggle with. I'm, I'm more attracted to that kind of art, right? Aspirational. And so mm-hmm. very early on, it was important to me that people felt they could understand the work and that mm-hmm. they could connect to it. It's become kind of almost a bad word in poetry, but but being accessible, <laughs> I feel is like hugely important. Uh, oh, yeah. And so sometimes people associate accessibility with like dumbing it down or, or not being, or you know, out. a high yeah. art form. And there's kind of like this false dichotomy, I believe, between what's considered to be spoken word poetry and traditional poetry in the vein of, mm-hmm. you know, Whitman and, and, and Dickinson mm-hmm. and T.S. Eliot and all of those great poets. But I think there's just definitely, for me, uh, an opportunity there to, to touch people. And, and that's what I hope mm-hmm. that I do with the work. So I think my intentionality informs the words that I use and the way that I deliver them. Uh, and I've, I've also really been a huge proponent. So, so really quickly, um, you know, when I entered UMKC's creative writing program, uh, one of the, the criticisms that I received was that a lot of my poetry kind of has like this public voice. Uh, and, and what uh, my professor was saying by that is like, I'm, I'm writing it in a way that, I, that I'm communicating to the public and I don't have the kind of interior kind of uh, thing happening in my work that, that many poets do. Introspection. Yeah, exactly. And that was a valid observation and criticism but I think a, a teacher, especially if we're talking about like poetry or visual art, is to help that student shape their voice, right? Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. to try to mm-hmm. tell them yeah. they need to do something totally different. Now, I learned some incredible things at, at UMKC's mm-hmm. creative writing program. I don't want to disparage it, but I really felt adamant about the work that I was doing. And so in my thesis, mm-hmm. um, there's a portion, because with the, with the thesis for uh, creative writing, it's not research-based. It's, you have to put together a collect. For me, it was a collection of poems, so 45 to 60 uh, poems. And uh, anyway, but you have to give kind of a, a statement about your aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came up with the term uh, poetry for public consumption, but using public consumption positively, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it hadn't happened yet, but I was just talking about how a poem can 
create this sense of community, this this sense of connection in a way um, that is very valuable, right? And so if you think about uh, Amanda Gorman mm-hmm. uh, delivering oh, yeah. the speech at Joe Biden's inauguration, mm-hmm. that that's what I was kind of pointing to, right? Mm-hmm. Like in mm-hmm. this yeah. incredible moment where there's the whole world's watching, um, I I bet you don't remember (laughs) much of what happened. I mean, you see Biden's getting sworn in, but in terms of the speakers and talking heads, uh, nobody did what Amanda Gorman did that day in terms of creating a sense of connection and togetherness. It was powerful. And and so, uh, so when I look back, you know, I've had poetry that's been a part of art installations. I've had poetry that's been a part of public art projects. I'm currently working with Reconciliation Services on a poem about reconciliation. Um, They're doing a huge capital improvement campaign. And if all goes well, uh, that poem will be placed prominently on the on the front the exterior uh, of the building yeah so so uh i guess i'm saying all that to say i just really think that that poetry can provide a service above and beyond this aesthetic value well you know i i think a little bit of what you're talking about is um and and dwight touched on this a little bit but you're kind of a translator Mm -hmm. you know you are finding a language to connect with people, to convey ideas, convey thoughts, convey emotions. And you also do that when you've done your collaborations with visual artists and you've created poetry to accompany the visual art. I think a classic example of that is your Lynch family poem um, for the piece, the very powerful piece at the Nelson. Mm -hmm. And that is a piece by Joseph Hirsch. Um, It's a painting of a distraught woman uh, holding her baby, and presumably her husband has been lynched. And, you know, that painting is powerful enough, and then the poem that you created to go along with that is this next-level power that just hits you in the gut. It was just fantastic, and I would encourage people to go look that up because it's well worth your time. So... So I do think of you as a translator, a communicator, and this is your wonderful medium to do that. So wow. I love that. So so I'll tell you, thank you so much for that, Regina. And there's a story behind that poem. Uh-huh. Um, several years ago, this is probably 2008, uh, got a call from a woman who worked in Nelson's education department, and she said she'd heard some some good things about me and workshops that I've been doing around the community with other organizations and institutions and she said would I be interested in doing an ekphrastic poetry workshop at the Nelson and I said sure I had no idea what ekphrastic poetry was so thank (laughs) God for computers I was able to look it up as I was having that conversation with her and uh, ekphrastic poetry is simply poetry that's written in response to visual art or visual image and so um during the time that I was getting prepared for the the workshop, she called and said there had been some pushback uh, about the workshop and people were concerned about, uh, I guess, my my pedigree or or my credentials. Hmm. But the way that she was communicating it, 
I could tell, you know, you just developed this sixth sense as a black person. And and I felt like it had something to do with, with the color of my skin, that, that this oh, pushback gosh. that she was getting. So I had to put together a presentation. I had to do this presentation in front of this committee, this ad hoc committee that they put together to approve what I was going to be uh, presenting in the workshop. It was really very condescending. Again, brother, exercising patience. Yes. <laughs> Gatekeepers going gatekeep. And they was like, okay, yeah. let's see if we can eat this sandwich that he's about to serve us. Right. And, bro, again, you know, you exercising that grace and patience. I see you, Playboy, because I would have had it been like, uh, 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 I, I. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. And a. you could just tell by the way that she was apologizing. Mm-hmm. You know, she couldn't even look me in the eye. So, anyway, I, mm-hmm. I did my presentation. They, they, they uh, you know, allowed me to do the workshop. But for me to facilitate that workshop, right, I had to write an ekphrastic poem and so the the ekphrastic poems are supposed to be based on uh, art in the Nelson's collection I was immediately drawn to that piece by Joseph Hirsch mm-hmm. and uh, but if, if you see the painting there's this deep blue background there are all these different hues of, of blue behind this woman who's in anguish and holding this baby that's crying and I had come up with I don't know probably 13 or 14 iterations of a poem to try to tell the story that the painting was mm-hmm. conveying and it just was not working nothing was working and one and I spent hours just sitting there looking at that painting and one day when I focused on the blue it hit me this is a blues poem it just it just came right and as soon oh, as I understood yeah. it was going to be a blues poem and this doesn't happen often but the words came faster than I could write like it, it just it just came tapped in and and i'll share it really quickly but the the poem is called lynch family blues it's a a short poem um went out swinging last night baby hope you didn't wait up for me said i was swinging all night baby did you stay up late for me i wasn't swinging in no joint darling i was out on the limb of a tree now i'm walking on air baby feels almost like i'm free my feet steady kicking the wind. Yeah, I'm close to being free. And for the first time in my life, darling, white folks are looking up to me. Hear me, son. Your daddy loves you. Keep hanging on to hope. You the man of the house now. Gotta help your mama cope. Daddy won't be coming home no more. I reached the end of my rope. And so that's the Lynch family blues. Boom. Boom. And, uh, Man, that just kills me every Lynch, time. That's so some blues. That's visual yeah. blues. You know, it hit me. You hit me, brother. You hit me. Yeah. Thank you so much. So just to kind of close the circle, uh, say probably 2018, mm-hmm. I get a call out. The Nelson's got a whole new staff now. You know, Julian Zugazagoida, who's the director there now. Julian. And his staff yeah, uh, are really doing a, a, a great job, I think, in terms of trying to be more welcoming and, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and more inclusive. Uh, so I get a call from the head curator of the Modern Art Gallery. And, uh, you know, she says, I really think that this poem that you wrote in response to Lynch family uh, needs a home. Would you mind if we placed it next to the painting permanently uh, in the Nelson? And so that was uh, a a huge moment for me to 
yeah. have written the poem at a time where they didn't even want me facilitating a workshop there to now have that poem that affirmation, uh, yeah. permanently exhibited next to that painting is, is, and rightly is so. one it's of those beautiful, beautiful. moments, right? I, I, I've got to say, you know, I've got a sticky right here. I'm holding it up. Y'all can't see it, but I'm holding it up, and it says this right here. If I could introduce anyone, you know, they said, hey, you got to introduce one person from Kansas City. And that's the person that you're going to introduce everyone to to explain Kansas City. You be that guy. Wow. You would be Perfect that choice. guy. <laughs> that's a good thing that you speak into the public, brother, because we need people mm -hmm. speaking to the public. You're the ambassador for this city, you know, and you speak it in such a way, in such a manner that, you know, I, I, I would Glenn, get, make sure your Kansas City experience is to the core. Wow. And that's what mm -hmm. you want, authenticity, you know, authentic KC coming from you, brother, you know, and speaking it from a voice of a poet, you know, it can't get no truer than that. Can't get no truer <laughs> than that. And keep on going. Um, you bless us with a poem. You know, there's one thing that you did for me, Wide Awakes Day. Mm -hmm. It was back a few years back, and you did a poem for the Wide Awakes, and I, I, I want to extend, I finally get an opportunity to publicly thank you from the Wide Awakes. You know, that poem that you dropped, it blew a lot of folks' minds. I got to put that in the link tree, that Wide Awakes poem that you That's did. That's right. Because yeah. it was just beautiful. You know, again, another moment of pure empathy and then projection of that empathy at the, at the highest of order. You know, you, you know, you, you are truly a master of your craft, Brother Glenn. Um, I appreciate all that you're doing in the arts community, all that you're doing in the arts ecosystem. I, I, I think it does not get recognized, um, some of the things that you're doing out there for, for the arts community. So I just want to say I see you. I see you operating in space, elevating, and with the, with the patience of a Buddhist monk. You know, what it, what, you know, because <laughs> because the things that you are discussing and sharing are of the you know that's hard. Like you know, the Lynch family. You know, the, all these topics that you're bringing. Like you said, you have mastered that. How do I deliver a hard message in a way that people feel? Oof, brother, yeah. you yes. you've done it. You've done it. So thank you, thank you for being part of the Art Moves family. Um, what's next? What you got up? What's what's going on at the museum? What's going on for you? What is Glenn North doing out there? What's next for you, brother? Yeah, so so I spoke a little bit on what's what's going on at the museum. As I said, we're we're working diligently now on the content for the inter interactive components that will augment um, some of the interpretive panels and things in our exhibits. And I am working on a, a publication called Poetry for Public Consumption, a kind of a compendium. My work that has been in public spaces, it's a collection of, of all of that work, but also uh, the stories behind the work, uh, because there's kind of this this thread that is weaving the work together of, of you know with social justice and and you know identity, uh, working on that and uh, going to be working on some more visual uh, pieces. I would I would like to have uh, at some point enough work. Uh, for a show, so uh, really Ooh. trying to Ooh, put awesome. put that together. I'm looking as forward well. to that. Yeah. You know, I'm looking yeah. forward to that because because <laughs> hey, I I, I want to put that piece in the Nelson into collection Elizabeth Oran. I'm claiming dibs on that one. Your piece at the testimony exhibit. So you know, for Art Moves, our video component, you know, we kind of featured that piece, and you know, it was a great moment. Yeah, where, first episode. Where, 
where, where me and Dr. Newham were right in front of the piece and we were talking about it. And, you, and I'm always blown away by your words. But that Afro-Futurist Manifesto, brother, you know, that is, you know, how important the Communist Manifesto was to a bunch of beatniks back in the 50s. That is, that piece of art is that moment for, you know, right now, especially in, in for the black aesthetic. Tell us about that piece. Let me just say for the people who have not had the opportunity to see that piece at the testimony exhibit, you really um, used literary components combined with visual graphics to create this work of art that was um, ingenious and nuanced and fascinating that Dwight and I could have just sat there for hours studying it. So please tell us uh, more about it. Wow, that that is amazing. So working with the collective, um, I had done uh, several poems uh, that were written in response to the um, visual art of different members of the collective. So uh, I've written poems in response to some of Sonny Ruffin's work uh, as a textile artist, Harold Smith as a figurative abstract artist, um, Michael mm -hmm. Brantley, uh, just brilliant uh, uh, artist. And in those exhibits, my poems would be placed next to the painting. Well, Dwight had mentioned the testimony exhibit. One of the things that made that so special was that was the first time the Nelson had done an exhibit centering on local mm -hmm. artists, in period. But the fact that it was a group of black local artists really made it uh, mm -hmm. pretty monumental for us. And so as we were discussing the theme and, and the logistics, you know, folks were asking, who was I going to pair up with? And I thought, if this is the Nelson... You know, I wanted to have something that 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 I produce that has some visual component, and I have been looking at the work of uh, Douglas Kearney uh, in particular, uh, and his uh, visual poems just always had this really kind of mm -hmm. the way that he presented them visually just gave this extra layer of meaning, uh, and and even if you weren't a huge poetry fan uh, the visual aspects of his work were so compelling uh, so anyway I was thinking about how could I do that and uh, so I kind of had not kind of I had been thinking a lot about Afro futurism in poetry um, I had been looking at uh, some of the work of Octavia Butler and uh, there was this book called Black Futures that I came across. That's kind of a compendium of African-American futuristic art and thought. That's a great book. I got it sitting right here. Yeah, yeah. That book was a huge inspiration for me. And so I uh, got some uh, cardstock and just started making these little doodles of like spaceships and planets and kind of tooling words around those those images but I can't draw. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to do that and uh, started working with different graphic designers. And because I wasn't clear on what I wanted, it was all just kind of banging around in my brain. I was frustrating people who were trying to help me because I couldn't clearly express what it is that I was trying Wait, to do. Wait, the poet couldn't express? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was new territory for me. Yeah, but but after sitting with three different graphic designers and working in different programs, uh, one night I was just really frustrated and uh, I was kind of playing around with, with the program and I started realizing I had picked up enough 
and I started kind of placing things, you know, uh, on the page digitally. And I don't know that I could do it again, quite frankly. I mean, I'd, <laughs> I'd have to go back. Well, what you did was fantastic. And 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 bone up, but uh, because I'm not a graphic designer either, but some kind of way, you know, the the vision wow. came to life, and so it ended up being this four by six piece that was on a metal plate uh, that really, to me, uh, was kind of, uh, I wanted to transport people. I wanted, I wanted it to represent the collective. So I knew that I had to bring it. I didn't want it to stick out like a sore thumb because of my lack of experience. So I knew that I, I wanted it to be top notch in terms of its visual, um, aesthetic, uh, but it wasn't a, like a painting or, or anything like that. So what I hoped was that if you if you walk by it and it didn't immediately capture your attention, you wouldn't look at it and go, what the hell is that? You know what <laughs> I mean? I wanted it to at least, yeah. <laughs> you know, not not disrupt the, the yeah. flow uh, of the show presence. with yeah. all those amazing <laughs> artists. But I wanted it also, if you did take time to engage with it, for it to offer all these different things that mm. would that would hold the, the, the viewer's interest and to, if you really, really got into it, that it would kind of transport you. Um, and, and I, I feel like, um, in, in many ways I was successful. I was very grateful. Yeah. That it all came together. The, I found, you know, it's all black and white. And the the more that you would take the time to engage with it, the more you would get out of it. And that's mm-hmm. what makes a beautiful piece of art, I think. So yeah. even if it's not traditional, you know, in terms of what other people uh, create, you know, art comes in so many different forms. And what you created was wonderful. It, it Thank was you. Fantastic. I mean, I was vibing on it on so many levels and i think there that that there's that intentionality that you have that there there's so many ways to engage that piece even Mm -hmm. how you you, your use of language and 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 i call it um you know like code switching but you had some code switching up in there it's it's deep (laughs) it's deep like i said y'all y'all see that in in the museum and don't really know what you're looking at and that's a that's a beautiful thing i mean this is your first time hitting tech start you hit a home run grand slam we only needed you for that one play, brother, and you did it. You hit a grand slam. Wow. We won. Champions. I'm out. Yeah. You know, that's the way to do it. <laughs> one and done. I am. I am uh, yeah. So so I'm I'm working on some ideas mm-hmm. about um, a series that, that has been inspired by that piece and some mm-hmm. other uh, ways of, of, of approaching what I'm calling visual poetry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm really excited, uh, but I got again like some ideas that I really feel it's like my brain is pregnant right now. Uh-huh. And I need to get it out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> get it out yeah. there and share it with folks. Tell folks I say how you build an ecosystem. I'll show you. That's what we're doing. That's what you're doing. I'm just taking elements from you, brother, and I'm saying, hey, you know what? This brother's out here making peace, or he's holding these positions. He's elevated this craft, and I said, how can we amplify that? That's how you network. That's how you build community. So kudos to you building community, taking the chance to jump to places like the Kansas City Museum, and then helping them define you know, what and how we build community publicly. Well said. You know, I yeah. see you, brother. I see you out there. And I'm learning from I'm taking notes from you. I'm taking notes from you, brother, <laughs> and trying to make sure, you know, and, and A, I, I'm probably still at a C minus 
on on the patience and empathy because I you know I, I I tend to get a little hostile. That's better than D. That's <laughs> yeah, better than D. I, I, I worked up because I used to be an F. But if it wasn't cool, I was like out. You know, so I'm I'm a C minus. I still got a work in progress. But you but, know, you know, you know I heard uh, somebody. Uh, the analogy was with the washing machine. You know, you mm-hmm. put the clothes in, you put the water in, you put the detergent in, but those clothes don't get clean until you agitate, right? So the you agitate, need an agitator. Right. This is a manifold problem, right? So it's going to take a mm-hmm. manifold approach to solve it. And I yeah. think that, that we need all the, that whole variety of voices. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the the folks were really scared when, when Malcolm and Martin started to, to see where they were aligned, right? And so, exactly. um, you know exactly. what I mean? I, I think it's exactly. critical that we have uh, many different ways of approaching the problem. I don't think there's just one answer. Mm-hmm. Well, Glenn North, I really want to thank you for being here with us mm-hmm. today. Thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts and your eloquence with us. It's been wonderful. And um, is there a, a poem you'd like to share with us as we go out? Uh, this is a painting of a guy named Joseph Doc Brown, and that painting was done by M.C. Haywood, and it's part of the collection of the Kansas City Museum. So what's interesting oh. is uh, before the museum opened, uh, they were doing programming out of Union Station before they reopened, right? So we're talking, mm-hmm. this is probably around 2009, 2000. No, it was before that. Uh, they had a program called uh, Community Curator, right? And so they would have uh, people from the community to come in, find an object in the collection, do some research, and, and write an essay about that particular piece and why it was significant to them. So my first okay. question was, well, what do you have here that represents the black experience? And the only thing that they had at the time was was that painting. And when I saw the oh, painting, you notice. You know, he's kind of tipping his hat. It's kind of reminds me of yes. the, the minstrel or the step and fetch it kind of stereotypical. So I was like, if this is all we've got, I've got to figure out how to make this work. And so mm-hmm. what I learned about Joseph Doc Brown is that he was a champion cakewalker. And the cakewalk is a dance that came out of the, the tradition of, of slavery and uh, what the enslaved people were doing, what our ancestors were doing was mocking the the slave owners and and the gentry you know they took those waltzes and those 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 you know kind of high society dances and they put their own spin on them and it was really subversive right it was really Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, a way for them to kind of uh poke fun at, at the people who had them enslaved but the white folks loved it so much they started creating these contests uh and so if you won that contest you'd get a cake so when you hear that phrase like that takes the cake like that comes out of that mm-hmm. whole tradition mm-hmm. right oh yeah so he was so good at it that in 1896 a very well respected white painter mc haywood painted his portrait that's unheard of also i found that there was a small article written about him in the kansas city star at a time when the kansas city star wouldn't even print a a black obituary let alone anything that was celebrating a black person so this guy was very much a celebrity here in kansas city and very well respected and he was creating art that you know, when you look at the context of the time, it's real easy to say. Like I hear young people say, "I, I couldn't have been no slave. I wouldn't have took that." Well, <laughs> you 
don't know, right? I mean, if you were up against all the things that our ancestors were up against, there were just certain things that, you know, certain compromises or whatever had to be made. Survival. Long story short, it just made me see him in a different light and to understand mm -hmm. him in a different way. And so I wrote a poem based on uh, that whole thing, and it's called uh, Why Black Folks Like to Dance. And it opens with a quote from Ralph Ellison who said, For the art, the blues, the spirituals, the jazz, and the dance was what we had in place of freedom. You study the darkness of my body, desiring to know the curve and the line. Whips scarred my back, but they never broke my spine. You implement strategies designed to steal what's inherently mine. You want to move like me, to groove like me, to boogaloo like me, but your body can't move like mine because it never needed to. I cakewalked out your slavery and you couldn't lynch my blues. Yeah, you try to dance like me, but you stuck with two left shoes. My hips undulate with a passion that shakes pine cones loose. My frame contorts in ways that Sherlock could not deduce. With every oppressor I face, and throughout every abuse, my movements possess a beauty that only struggle could produce. I keep it moving with the quickness, with the panther's agility. Got a Lindy hop too fast for the naked odyssey. I call my left leg Malcolm and Martin is my right. I can march the streets of Birmingham at noontime and dance all Saturday night. Never understood how you could love my music, my walk, my talk, my style, but hate me so intensely. Why am I so reviled? May not ever get the answers on this side of eternity, but one thing is for certain, I'ma keep on doing me. I'ma dance like there's no tomorrow and sing at the top of my lungs, shaking my big black groove thing until the final bell is rung. Wow. That's some art move. That was fantastic. <laughs> oh, Glenn. Original. We got the sauce. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I have just so enjoyed listening to you and um, just kind of benefiting from your insight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think of you as like this coffee machine. You know, you put in all the <laughs> yeah, emotion wow. and the visual um, stimuli that we get mm -hmm. and everything we get in this world. And it percolates down and distills into this beautiful, smooth product. And that's what we get from Glenn wow. North. So kudos. I just yeah. love what you're able to do as a poet and a, as a person. So thank you. You guys have really made my Sunday. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to really, you know, have a moment just to speak on just a couple of the great things that you're doing for the community. Not only celebrate your acumen in poetry, but what you're actively doing in the community. You know, it is much appreciated, brother. You're doing it at the highest levels. I see you. And I appreciate you and I learn from you. That's what I love is what I learn from you. Though that's the real those are the gems, brother. I love everything else, but what you give me in lesson is is much appreciated. You know, so I always get I get humbled and I say, Yep, I can I can I can go back and eat a little bit more. Go eat a little <laughs> bit more pie. <laughs> you know, all so right. thank you for that, brother. Thank you for that. Well thank, thank you, you for you all creating this platform, Regina. Uh you just got such a beautiful spirit and uh oh, i always get you. a little bit nervous when i'm doing an interview but you made me feel really welcome oh. and and i appreciate the work that you're so doing happy. with dwight to to make this space available and i know uh that you all are making a difference so thank you yes well you are a treasure and we're just so happy that uh, you took some time for us thank you mm -hmm. of course take care all right you too 
Thanks again for listening to Art Moves, the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe through your favorite podcast platform or the website. You can find links for this and the video show at linktree slash artmoves. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-R-T-M-O-V-E-S. And thanks.